that's definitely part of what I do is wanting to honor the ingredients and the work that the farmers do, the work that the earth does to get these beautiful, beautiful ingredients. This is the Real Food Real People podcast. I'm not sure if I've ever met someone more passionate about food and the art of food and where it comes from. Our guest this week on Real Food, Real People podcast is not a farmer. She is a chef as well as a blogger. Um, now she's on a show as well as has her own podcast. She's got lots of stuff going on and she's all about food and the ingredients even back to the farmer. Ashley Rodriguez is her name and Man, she has a cool story. Again, she's not a farmer, but she does have farming in her family background. And so it's really interesting to hear. She feels it's in her DNA, some of this stuff. Great conversation. We talk a lot about what's happening right now with COVID and the changes that's doing, not just to our food system more in a technical sense, but in a human sense and the way we're thinking about food changing because of this coronavirus pandemic, as well as just her background and how the show Kitchen Unnecessary came to be, how her blog, Not Without Salt, got started. There's a lot to the story, and, and it goes way back to even, well, we talked about photography. It goes back to the pre-digital camera days. <laughs> and when, when she started taking pictures of food, there wasn't Instagram. And in fact, there wasn't, well, there were, but she wasn't using a digital camera. They were using film. So she's been doing this for a long time, and it's really important to her, and she's got a lot of cool stuff to share. I'm Dylan Honkoop, and this is the Real Food, Real People podcast Again, our guest this week is Ashley Rodriguez, a Seattle area, again, chef and food blogger, as well as now a show host and, and a podcaster as well. Looking back, when was it that you became a foodie, would you say? Because you are like the embodiment of a foodie, right? Of a foodie. What does that even mean? Um like when when I started enjoying food is that well I, yeah that I suppose sort of, there's two t two times when you realized you were a foodie but then maybe when you actually were a foodie before you recognized that you probably felt uh, fell under that moniker yeah I've never called myself that so <laughs> <laughs> oh so maybe um, I shouldn't I... be saying that you're a foodie. <laughs> I, I don't even, I don't honestly really, what is the exact definition? I don't know. I am someone who really enjoys food and that began at an early, early age. I remember, um, asking for a pasta maker when I was probably about 10 <laughs> and really I wanted that one that was the Ron Popeil, like I had seen the infomercials, right? I wanted that <laughs> one that you just like press it and forget it. But my grandmother got me the Italian style, like clamp it to your countertop hand crank. And I was kind of disappointed. And then I was not because I just had so much fun with it. But I remember attempting to make my parents a really fancy meal. I made them like go out and sit in the garden and I had a menu and I'm going to make all of this. And I made homemade pasta at like 10 years old all by myself. Um, it was disgusting it was like <laughs> globby so gross and my parents just like ate it out of the goodness of their hearts they were so kind but no I just remember it being super slimy and gross but um I just was always so fascinated with the kitchen and what you could create um you know I I my grandmother my mom's mother was an incredible baker and my mom had a confidence in the kitchen that I recognize now is quite uncommon. Mm. Um, and so, you know, she wouldn't cook with recipes very often. She did, she baked a lot. Um, so I just remember watching that. And um, I think my biggest takeaway from all of that was to not have any fear in the kitchen. And so I took that with me into just continuing to um, follow my curiosity and, Oh, can I, can I make homemade chocolates and can I, how 
does chocolate get made? And I even like played around with making chocolate at home by ordering the cocoa beans. And, you know, I just, it's always my curiosity that has sort of led me down all these paths. But, um, and then I, I, while in college, I was studying art. I wanted to be a high school art teacher. And part of that education brought me to Italy. And I, that's really, really where I fell in love with food and fell in love with food as sort of the medium that brings people together and around the table. And, um, that's, you know, where I also kind of made this connection coming home, realizing, Oh, some people make a career out of like cooking and playing with food all day. That's amazing. (laughs) So things sort of shifted for me. Well, but it's, it's still under the art umbrella, culinary art. Totally. And I, and I think I, you know, I didn't want to waste all the money that, uh, me and my parents had been spending on my liberal arts art degree. (laughs) (laughs) And so I sort of used that as an excuse to, um, pursue pastry art. Um, because I felt like that was a really nice way of combining like the artistry and um, my love of food. Plus, I mean, who doesn't love sweets? So I, I didn't go to culinary school because I didn't have the money after, you know, I just finished up my liberal arts degree and then, but I wanted to jump into this. So I just, I just jumped in full force. And, um, for my graduation present, my parents got me this like encyclopedia set of French pastry, like the classic, how to make everything basically. And then I started working in bakeries and, um, my husband and I, we moved to L.A., got a job at a restaurant there, and just started working my way and learning learning that way. So where did you go to college? Uh, Seattle Pacific. Okay. Yeah. So you were in Seattle then, but moved down to L.A. with the purpose of pursuing this whole food, pastry yeah, well, thing? I, yeah. I, my husband and I, we got married young, and we wanted to go off and sort of have our own adventure. Um and so it was kind of like, where do we want to live? And I, we were, I, and, and I wanted to, you know, live in a place that I could work in a great restaurant and, and get that sort of education. So we were looking at New York or LA, but New York was far too expensive. Hmm. So we settled on LA, but I ended up getting a job before we moved down. Um, and it was like, I put together this ridiculous resume because I had no experience whatsoever. So it was like a book that I made with images that I had taken of, or that my husband had taken of like all these homemade chocolates and stuff. And I just was, I just attempted to, to woo the pastry chef who, um, she, um, she was Wolfgang Puck's pastry chef at the time. Mm. So, um, Sherry Yard. So I got a job at Spago in Beverly Hills. So we moved to LA for that job basically. Wow. So that was like your first real gig doing that? That was my first real restaurant job. I had I had worked in a bakery for about six months, kind of worked my way up and got bored real quickly with that. And then, yeah, Spago was my first restaurant wow. job, which was such a trip. At, yeah, and starting, I mean, that's, as far as working your way up, that's starting on a pretty high rung. <laughs> yeah, it's like just being thrown into. Of the ladder, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the, uh, the photos, though, because... Correct me if I'm wrong. Amongst various things, your hubby is a photographer, right? So he he probably took some pretty incredible photos of what you're doing too. He did. He did take some really good photos. Yeah, yeah. He he's um, a wedding photographer and a photographer of all sorts. So yeah, he um, did lots of weddings down there, and then he also worked for. Um, he managed this high-end boutique because he was also kind of toying around with the idea of getting into fashion so we lived a very very crazy life down there (laughs) it was it was fun and then you came back north yeah we or um, or, or i guess you you had a few other positions down there before you came north no actually i Stayed at Spago and, and, you know, it, it took a long time for, sorry, do you hear the dogs wrestling? (laughs) They're getting tired of the quarantine life too. Yeah. No, they love having us home all the time. They're like, this is great. (laughs) 
This is the ideal life. Um, yeah, so I it took a while to to get acclimated to living in LA and sort of get accustomed to restaurant life. But um, once we did, I was kind of moving up quickly or in in that realm. And I actually told my husband, I was like, "Hey, Gabe, once once I become pastry sous chef, like we're buying a convertible. Let's we just got to do this, you know, like fully fully uh, digging into, you know, we had uh, no money, no money whatsoever." So conversations were happening. I was, um, Wolfgang was planning to open up a, another restaurant and I was, um, on my way moving up to the pastry sous chef position. So we started looking for a, a convertible. We found this great deal. This woman was selling her son's car. <laughs> so we bought this beautiful black sob convertible. And then two weeks after we bought it, we found out we were pregnant. <laughs> so... Things, things definitely shifted for us at that yeah, point. That for was sure. insane. Then we, you know, we didn't have any family down there. I was working, um, uh, yeah, long, long hours. And then once you kind of become sous chef or chef, then you're even longer hours. So yeah. um, not necessarily something I wanted to do as a young mother. So then we decided to move back home. And Seattle is home. We actually moved back to Bellingham. Oh, so wow. Bellingham is where I grew up. Nice. Yeah. And then we lived in Bellingham for several years. And then we and then we ended up back in Seattle, where we are now. So motherhood kind of jumped on the screen, took over for a bit. But you still yeah. had that love of the whole food thing. When did that start coming back? Because I know the whole motherhood gig is all-consuming. Um, yeah, it, it never, it never went away. Um, it was always there in some, in some aspect. So when I moved back to Bellingham, I partnered up with a local catering company called Chow Time and they so graciously took me under their wing and I started a business under their business doing wedding cakes and dessert catering. And then eventually I became their pastry chef. Um, and so I was pursuing those avenues while um, we had our first child. And then that's when I started kind of dipping my toes into the world of blogging as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I started a blog after our first son was born. And that was sort of a way of like a free website, free marketing for my wedding cake business. Then by the time our second son came around, the story that I wanted to tell was shifting. Mm. It was getting back to that feeling that I had while living in Italy of food is amazing and I'm so passionate about it. But what I really want to write about and, and, and pursue and to tell the story about it is my heart behind all of it, which is to connect to people mm. and to, to feed people. And, you know, like I, I've, had some incredibly intense, deep spiritual um, moments at the table. And I think I'm always trying to um, pursue those moments and to use food as a way of, of um, sort of helping other people tap into those experiences as well. Cause I just think that food is such an incredible gift. Um, so that's kind of, that's, that changed the story for me. And that's when the blog, not without salt was born. Um, I started really developing my own skills as a photographer, as a writer, as a recipe developer. And I use that platform to, to experiment and to, and to practice those skills. Being a blogger, being in the world of food, a foodie, if you're comfortable with that term. It, yes, it, you can, it, it keeps, you can say it. You're, you're okay with that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it it often comes back, like you said, to photography. You've mentioned this multiple times and being able to show that food because presentation, what the food looks like on the plate is mm -hmm. a big part of the art, right? But that didn't really spread until this phenomenon of taking picture. And, you know, we millennials, um, 
have been made fun of for taking pictures of our meals for a long time, but right. it's really become a thing, right? Well, when when you started in this and you talk about your husband taking photos of your early, you know, creations uh, as part of kind of your resume to get that job down in LA, that was kind of even before this whole trend, right? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Like when yeah, would that, that have was, been? What year? That was in 2004. Yeah, that was like, yeah. what, the birth of Facebook year, if I want to say, 03 oh, or 04 wow. or something. It didn't even exist Yeah, before then. No. What, MySpace? I mean, people weren't hey. doing this whole thing then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instagram was years yeah. away. It was. So how big of a role does that that play? What it looks like and beautiful photography and, and how much has that been a thing that that has kind of made your blog as well? You know, I mean, that's an interesting question. And, and I, I don't often think of it in that way because for me, it's always food first, but I am such a visual person. And of course I, you know, I have a huge collection of cookbooks and I love flipping through the pages and admiring the food, the, the pictures. Um, and I, so fairly early on in my blogging career, I started taking over the photography side of things because um, I mean, with with a background in art, and I had t- taken some photography classes, I I could ki- I could get by, mm-hmm. um, and I knew what I wanted. I knew <clears throat> I knew what I wanted the the end result to look like, and sometimes it was easier for me to just grab the camera from my husband's hands rather than try to like communicate with words what I wanted him to try and get. So I started just playing around more, and and as digital photography became bigger it was a yeah. lot easier because then I could like take a picture look at the back of the screen say oops nope that's not quite right and then that's really how I learned because you know when we were just doing um you know film photography mm-hmm. it can get really expensive to make all those mistakes and yep. um yeah so and, you know and the, back, gen, the back, gen zers listening right now are like what well, there's some there's a kind of photography where you can't see the picture right away. What? Know, what, what's this all about? It does make me sound, <laughs> sound old, right? But, it, well, um, it changes everything, though. It's how romantic. You, how you shoot stuff. <laughs> um, and, and that was totally. going to be my question. Those those first photos that you sent off to get that first gig, were those on film or digital? I figured. Oh, hmm, they were film. Good chance that was film I'm back sure. then. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we got them printed. I mean, who does that with photos <laughs> anymore? Yeah. And blogging is really changing and it, it's, it's really, people are on Instagram these days. Yeah. And so I haven't been, I haven't blogged anything on Not Without Salt this year, which is really wow. crazy for me to admit because it's been, gosh, I've had that blog for, I always, I always make the connection between how old my middle son is. He's almost turning 12. So I've had that blog for 12 years and it has been a journal for me. Um, but it's, yeah, my, my passion is shifting and the medium of Instagram is such that I can connect with a community there and share recipes and inspiration in the same way. Um, I miss longer form writing, but I'm doing that in other ways as well. So um, I'm not, I'm not saying the blog is dead, but it definitely yeah. isn't what it used to be. You talked about your grandma mm-hmm. and how she was kind of a food inspiration for you. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell me a little bit about her. What, what was her thing? What was her life? What, what brought her to that place where you said she was like really excellent, uh, baker and cook. Hmm. Both of my grandmothers, I have such wonderful food memories of each of them and their um, recipe collections sit right next to me in my kitchen. And every time I pass by those old, um, you know, their boxes of, of handwritten recipes, it's just, it is such a gift that I cherish. Um, gosh, the other day I was, I was sitting in my house and I just like for some reason there was this strong like meaty smell and it immediately came hit me like walking into my uh, my dad's mom's house my um on Sundays when we'd come over for dinner like 
roast beef just like slowly cooking you know in the slow cooker and it's like oh my gosh it was just such a strong intense smell memory and um you know when we'd come over for dinner she would love to ask like what our favorite what what we wanted to have for for dinner she loved you know she loved just like making us happy through through food and then my maternal grandmother, she was the baker, and I remember. But she was she was such a humble cook and baker. She never thought, I mean, she always apologized for whatever it was that she made, and yet it was the most incredible. I mean, her pies were unbelievable. And I remember, um, gosh, I don't, I was probably, I was in my 20s, I'm sure, and I was, like, Grandma, can you please teach me your pie crust? And she just never thought that she was, like, her knowledge was worthy of, of mm. sharing. Did she or, have a recipe know, or was it just off the top of her it head? Was, it was completely by feel. And it mm. defied all my baking science. Mm. Like, because I'm like, your crust is so flaky. How is it so flaky? And I would, you know, I knew that cold butter handled with care and all the cold ingredients and, you know, you bake it, well, blah, 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 all this, all this knowledge that I had, you know, garnered from working in bakeries and restaurants and reading tons and tons of, um, baking science. She, it got thrown out the window when she just dumped like a half a cup of, uh, oil and milk wow. into the dough and then just mixed it by hand. And then, you know, <laughs> I was like, wait, no, what's happening here? And, and I was trying to get the measurements and she's like, well, you just do it till it feels right. Mm. Um, and yeah, I have her pie dough recipe is in my second cookbook, um, juxtaposed right next to my pie dough recipe. So, and actually I, I wrote that cookbook, um, while she was still alive and, um, she passed away shortly before, um, was it? I, I guess it was. It, it was shortly after it had been published. But I read that section in, from my cookbook as her eulogy. What was that like? <sighs> hard, and uh, it still is hard. But I connect with her every time I'm in the kitchen. I, I feel her and, you know, that's the power of food, right? Is that, um, it's such a, it's such a necessity, right? We need to eat to live, but it can transcend so much if, if you allow it. And I think that's what, um, you know, my time in working in restaurants, it was about consistency and getting the food out in a very timely manner. And, writing about food and taking pictures about food, taking pictures of food, um, taught me how to be mindful and present in the kitchen. And that's such a powerful experience. And I think about the food memories that were created from, um, the lives of these two incredible women in, in my life. And I hope that, you know, my children and, Hopefully someday I'll get the pleasure of having grandchildren that I can sort of help to shape mm. their lives through these these memories and um, you know that's the that's the gift that I get to to have with my own children and 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 I don't I do not take it for granted that I get the joy and the honor of having a platform and and to be able to inspire and and get people excited about being in the kitchen especially now goodness people are cooking and baking like crazy these yeah, days right yeah it, it, this quarantine life has changed so much and a lot mm -hmm. of awful things have come out of it but definitely some good things too there, so many there, beautiful things isn't there something that just feels really retro about it like the togetherness and the home right. cooking and just a quieter slower way of life yeah yeah i mean i guess yeah I, i've not thought of it in in the in the retro sense but it because it's something that i've always pursued yeah in the outro. <laughs> yeah. you know it's something that i think again, going back to those, the, those times in Italy saying like, oh, this is really what's important. 
Like, Mm. you know, they stop their lives. The things that we say, no, it's too, it's too important. We need to be open, keep our businesses open during all waking hours. And it's Mm. like, nope, we're going to, we're going to stop and spend three hours in the middle of our work day to sit around the table to acknowledge one another's humanity to cherish the gifts from the earth and just have a moment to enjoy this day because every day is worthy of, you know, of savoring. And it's like, man, I, it's, it's something that I want to pursue for, you know, and I think, I think in these times of quarantine, it just allows for, for more of that. And, you know, when, when so much of our regularly scheduled programming has been taken away, then it allows for us to really, um, quiet out the, a lot of the external noise so that we can see things for what they really are. I, I, like I said, it's felt very retro to me. It reminds me more of my life when I was a kid. Um, and I actually want to connect that back to, cause I know that your, Grand, both sets of your grandparents are like mine. You, they're both Linden area dairy farmers, right? This was the the scene that you grow grew up with your grandparents being in the the dairy farming community. Mm-hmm. That that more was, so my yeah my my mom's dad for sure. How for much sure. how much did that influence? I guess the whole perspective on food, and where it comes from. And, and, and that farming way of life too, where that you work hard and you get up early, but there's also coffee time and there's people who swing on the yard and you chat for half an hour, (laughs) you know, that, that work hard, but still a slower way of life kind of thing. Right. I think, you know, it wasn't out of the norm for me. Like I loved going down and, and visiting grandpa's cows and, and saying hello to them. And, and, and I think it's, it's in my DNA more than it's in my, that more than I even recognize that I know where food comes from. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, I'm not invisible to the hard work that it takes to, to grow and produce these food. Um, items and I think that's that's definitely part of what I do is wanting to honor the ingredients and the work that the farmers do, the work that the earth does to get these beautiful, beautiful ingredients. Um and it's you know, I kind of see myself as sort of a last piece of that cycle you know of of um and or like the artist who gets to paint with the most luxurious silky paints of the highest (laughs) quality that then you know it just makes the final product that much more beautiful um and i i think if if you are passionate about food you have a deep and utter respect for every aspect of that ingredient. Um, in, in the food world, how much is that? Rec- I mean, you recognize that because of your family background. What mm-hmm. about others? And what about the, the things that we have here in Washington state where there are so many incredible things that are produced here? Yeah. I, I again, I, I think if you have a passion for food, you take that back to its literal roots and you, um, you want to honor that ingredient every step of the way. Um, you know, I think, I think it's hard for people who don't have the luxury of, I mean, this is, this is my career. This is my job, right? I get to, um, have the pleasure of, of talking with food producers of being really, really connected to my food. Um, I think not everyone has that, um, the mental capacity, the interest or the time to really be able to, <laughs> to sit and, and think about where everything comes from. Yeah. But you just got to pick up something at the store and get home and make right. it. Right. Oh, <laughs> but I hope, 
I, you know, I, I hope that, um, in, in a sort of, um, I hope in a kind and, and loving way, part of the work that I do is to help people sort of acknowledge and appreciate, um, the ingredients all the more, you know, and I think that's why I continually also, you know, I, I want to be creating unique and creative food, but I also want to keep it really, really simple and, and, um, for it to taste good, you've got to use the the best quality ingredients. And so, um, you know, I want to continue to highlight the story of the ingredients throughout the entire process and not just the, I don't want it just to be an ends to the mean or means to the end. Sorry. How different is that here in the Pacific Northwest than when you were down in LA? Oh man. Uh, it's, it's hard. I, I don't, I, I never, was so wrapped up into the LA community that I feel like I got a good pulse on it because I was living and breathing the restaurant. Um, but, um, I was really fortunate enough to develop a really great relationship with my pastry chef, with, um, my boss at the time, Sherry. And, um, she was working on her second cookbook at the time. And so I got to spend some time working on that with her. And she took me all around to, um, the farmer's markets and we even, you know, went out to this farm in San Diego to meet the the farmer who grows these strawberries that, honestly, I think she's one of, you know, the first people that taught me how to truly honor and care for the ingredient. We mm. would get these strawberries into the restaurant and they were like treated like newborn babies <laughs> <laughs> the moment they came in. <laughs> we would take them out of their carton and, you know, prepare like a, a nice bed for them on a sheet, sheet pan. And so that they all like, they couldn't be touching one another and they, they all needed their own space and, and they were treated like, yeah, like royalty. Um, and with one taste, you understood why. Well, you they have to just... be like that with strawberries too, because they're so soft, especially oh, if they're, these grown all the way ripe on the vine and they're one of these really sweet varieties that's designed to be picked ripe a lot of the stuff that we get in the store from who knows where oh, sometimes right. where it's is like picked they're red on the outside ripe. and white on the inside yeah 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 these were these were like a mirror de bois fraise de bois like these tiny little um they were like strawberry candy that's what it tasted it tasted like <laughs> well it tasted like what strawberry candy tries to be they were so good i grow some in my garden just so i mean and it's like never enough to do anything yeah with it's just to be wandering around your yard and putting it in your mouth and then you just have this like quintessential taste of like this is what a strawberry (laughs) tastes like and you know luckily for us living in washington we get to have those those moments, those like two weeks at the end of yeah. June where it's like strawberry season is here. But I, I love that, you know, like my kids, when they were really little, they'd see strawberries in the store and, and it'd be December and they'd be like, can we get strawberries? I'm like, no, it's not, it's not time. Thank you. And it's like, thank you. Right? Oh yeah. <laughs> Nothing sure. against and those folks that, and fine if you really got to have the strawberries, but the real right. strawberries are in June. <laughs> but like, it's so worth it to like, wait until you have that and then it's like and then you know we're standing in the sun and and it's like no children no no this is this is why i've said no to you for the last (laughs) 12 months this is the reason and then you know and then of course you can freeze them and and enjoy them or make jam or and and yes i can i can buy strawberries out of season too but nothing compares to that like first taste of Mm. a strawberry where it's just like that ruby red intensity all the way through oh my gosh i'm really into this because strawberries are my favorite i grew up on it my dad's a red raspberry grower and believe it or not i'm not in love with raspberry i don't hate them it's just really really not my thing but strawberries are my favorite see that's what everybody says Okay, but I mean, strawberries are so good. It's probably because I grew up picking them and just the smell. Yeah. To a lot of people, it's like, oh, wow, that smells so good. And to me, it smells like work and long, hot days. Smells like hard work. (laughs) Um, But you talk about these strawberries, you talk about the seasonality of when 
produce, whether it's fruits or veggies or whatever, are actually ripe here locally. That's something that's being talked about lately with this whole COVID situation and the disruption in our food system. People are saying, Mm -hmm. you know, we're so used to being able to have any fruit and any vegetable available 24 7 365 and this time and the disruption of that system is showing us that maybe that's not what our future should look like and maybe we need to start recognizing that hey yeah we have strawberry stuff in june but no we don't have it in october and that's okay absolutely for me it's worth the wait it's worth you know, like, and, and, and every season and listen, I recognize we live in, in one of the most bountiful and beautiful parts of the world. And so that, you know, there are places that are definitely food deserts where things are just hard to come by anytime, but, um, you know, every season there's something to look forward to. And I love living off of like, you know, okay, this is spring. We're, we're in the heart of rhubarb season mm-hmm. and young greens and, and you know, every, there's always something to be enjoying and looking forward to. And we should be doing that here in the Pacific Northwest. Cause like you say, there are other parts of the country and world where they don't have that luxury at all. Yeah. And we tend to take it for granted and then we Absolutely. don't really take advantage and we go to the store and get strawberries and rhubarb that's grown in South America. And it's like, well, why, you know, when we can do it. Right. Here. You know, I think it's cyclical, you know, going back to thinking about my grandparents, I don't fully know how hard life was for them. I mean, I can, I, I saw and, and, and I know things were, were challenging and, um, especially as, as farmers and with large families and all of that. But, um, so I, I recognize that, you know, when, when the food conveniences first started coming, it, it was, um, a lifesaver. I mean, it was like it, like it, it saves so much time and and energy, but I think we're also now coming to see the ramifications of some of those conveniences and maybe it's not worth it. And maybe, you know, we can sort of readjust our, our lifestyle a little bit to, um, to sort of reconnect to that seasonality um, pendulum can swing hope, the other way a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and and hopefully um, people can find some some joy and satisfaction in being in the kitchen and not see it as as the chore that so many uh, um, can see it. And listen, I love cooking, but it can still feel like a chore. You know, feeding my yeah. feeding my family day in and day out. But um, you know, that's why I, I well, do also try. And, <laughs> yeah, I try and 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 make it accessible and and you know hopefully hopefully people feel that when is it now i mean you're in seattle you're in the food world foodie blogger etc when do you actually connect with farmers now in your life do you ever i mean farmers market anything beyond that what what how do those worlds collide in our current culture you know well, in the times of, of quarantine, not, not very often. Right. Um, although, yes, I, I love going to the farmer's market. I love going to the farms in the summer to pick the berries. And um, we do the, every year we do the, um, that big farm festival that happens up in, up in Whatcom and Skagit County. Mm. Um, so I love, you know, reminding my children and connecting the dots then that this is where this is where the food comes from um i just started uh working with my friend devin who just started a company called small food drop where he's connecting farmers directly to the consumer um so i can get farm fresh eggs meat um flour directly from the farmers from the producers right to my door which is so incredible, especially during these times where we're yeah. just trying to stay home and even limit our exposure going to the grocery store. So if I can get eggs where the yolks just are like the sunset, it's just <laughs> so gorgeous. And these, you know, and this flower from up in Skagit from Karen Springs that it's like, I'd have to 
drive, you know, miles and miles in order to go get this or anyways, it's, there are, um, there are ways and, and that is really, really exciting to me. And you're talking about Um, Devin Day, by the way, who is episode 10 on the Real Food, Real People podcast here. We talked with him. Oh, I didn't even. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So we've had his his Valley Farmstead Rabbits and the Neil's Big Leaf Maple Syrup that they do. We talked all about that. But it's been since we had that episode that he's developed the small food drop thing. So I've been talking to him a lot about it. And that's a good mention for people who are interested to check that out. I know it's small now, but he's wanting to grow and grow. Know that wow he's just he's a go-getter that one yeah 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 it's really really exciting i mean the fact that i can get that syrup i have a couple of bottles sitting on my counter right now and it's like oh i don't why why do i need to leave the house i've got <laughs> yeah it's it's really 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 exciting what no, he's he, doing he texted me right after he launched the uh, small food drop thing because we were talking about this kind of stuff right at like after our podcast episode we just kind of kept talking for like two hours after that episode that's awesome all these things and so he you know a few weeks later really or it wasn't that much longer we were in all of a sudden covid world and he's like hey check this out and so yeah i ordered some karen spring mills flour and um and then he texted me a little bit later and said, hey, it's on your front doorstep. <laughs> I'm like, sweet, you delivered it <laughs> yourself? He's like, crazy? yeah, we had to go over there and check. We were up in, in your area f- to check out some chickens uh, that we're going to raise. So, awesome. so I dropped it off. And so yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. And it's kind of bringing the local personality back to food there. And I, I hope he has a lot of success with that. What about Kitchen yeah. Unnecessary? Talk about how that came to be and this whole cooking outside thing. I'm a huge fan of that, but not nearly as gourmet as you are. But I, I do love cooking <laughs> over an open fire. Oh, yeah. I, I'm happy to talk about Kitchen Unnecessary. This is a project that my brother and I started about three years ago, and it started around the campfire. We go camping every year. There's, um, I have two brothers, and we all have three kids So between all of them and my mom and dad, there's 17 of us that just go out into the woods and um, start up a fire the moment we get there and just keep it going (laughs) the whole time. And I'm cooking breakfast, pretty much breakfast and dinner over the fire. And it started because, you know, with with my love of food, I want to eat good food no matter where I am. And of course, I, I love, you know, like those classic campfire dishes as well. Um, but I wanted to see what I could do within the limitation of only having a cast iron pan and a fire to cook with. And I think one of the first years I, I did like a braised chicken thigh over the fire and we had some fondue or just threw some cherry tomatoes with some shallots into the pan, let them blister and then melted fontina cheese. And we just all sat around the campfire dipping those Costco pretzel buns into that big pot of cheese. And now it's you're like, really oh, killing me. Okay. You, you were, you were getting me with the <laughs> strawberries earlier, but this yeah. is really putting me over the edge. Like, can we take yeah. a time out so I can go get some munchies right now? Cause you're yeah, making me hungry. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so Chris and I, my brother, we're just sitting around the fire and he's an incredible um, filmmaker and, like, what, what can we do with this? And so Kitchen Unnecessary was born. And we both have a love of the outdoors. I have a continual growing fascination with wild foods and had, you know, like, played around with mushroom foraging with some people um, that I've met down here in the F- Seattle food community and just love this idea that, you know, food surrounds us. And so we... Um, connect with these local or just guides, these experts, and we go out and we find a wild food ingredient and learn with them and then go start a fire and cook a feast in in the middle of the woods or by a river or wherever the case may be. We've um, fly fished in Montana, fished, foraged, hunted in Alaska, and of course, living in the Pacific Northwest, we have such a bounty, so we've done you know, gathered gooey ducks and clams and oysters on the beach. And then within a few feet, just 
lit up a fire and smoked some clams and boiled some pasta for a smoky clam carbonara. And I mean, it's, it's really, really, really fun. And, and a project that I'm so excited about and we're working right now, you know, we can't go out and do the episodes in the same way that we've been able to, you know, now that we're kind of in quarantine, but again, we can, we can all get out in our backyards and have these cool, unique experiences. So Chris and I are working on developing a series to, to really teach you how to um, cook over your fire pit or even over your grill and to, to kind of take it beyond what you thought it was capable of in the in this comfort and safety of your own backyard. So be looking for that. And we just launched a podcast as well, which has been super, super fun to continue the conversation with some of our guides and to connect with people in the outdoor and food space to talk about, you know, just the, the, the joys of being outside and the bounty that really surrounds us. It's really, really incredible. And that one's called kitchen unnecessary as well, right? It's like kitchen unnecessary, the TV show essentially and kitchen unnecessary, the podcast. Exactly. Yeah. So it's been, it's been really, really fun. It's, it's sort of, you know, I've been now in the food space for about 15 years and it's really incredible when you can kind of do a little deep dive into a, into a whole new avenue of it. Um, so it's keeping, keeping me excited about all things food. So, so what's next? What do you, what else do you have up your sleeve? Well, right now, you know, it's hard to hard to see much beyond the day in front of you, but um, I'm going fishing next week since since fishing is opening up. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> no, I think that 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 is that is what's right in front of me. I mean, we're I'm going to continue to um um you know, continue to be inspired by food and hopefully, you know, share the things that are getting me excited. And, and I hope that looks like more cookbooks, more adventures with kitchen unnecessary, just more of the same. I am having so much fun in this space and I just want to see it continue. As long as people are there, then I will, I will, even even if people aren't there, but it really it really helps helps us out financially when people are there and, and excited about what I'm doing and buying the books and cooking the recipes and and uh, eager to watch the episodes and all of that. So it's it's a gift to be able to do this. Well, thank you so much for for opening up. What a cool story! And I think this is the first podcast episode here for real food real people where i've gotten hungry like four different times <laughs> during the conversation Good, that's part of my job <laughs> so you're succeeding I, on that front yeah i wish we could be together and i could actually feed you rather uh, than just tease you but well someday i'll i'll hold you to that but in the meantime yeah. i guess we are you know talking over digital connections here is gonna have to have to do but thank you so yeah. much for for sharing uh, my the, pleasure the, the personal for the side of the story yeah we appreciate it this is the real food real people podcast these are the stories of the people who grow your food seriously i, I was making it up i got hungry um multiple times throughout that conversation and i think shortly after uh we did that chat i had to quickly get out and and get some lunch or something i I don't remember what i ate but i'm sure it wasn't nearly as gourmet as anything (laughs) that ashley makes what a cool person though right and and a cool perspective on food that it's not just a chore it's not just something that we do automatically that there's art there and there's humanity there she brings so much of that and, and even, you know, caused me to think about things differently than I have in the past. We need people like that in our food system, if, if we want to call it that, which makes it kind of sound after a conversation like this makes it kind of sound impersonal. But we need people like that to remind us of those things and to remind us of the importance of growing the food and working the soil of 
picking the food or whatever, harvesting, however that's done, uh, processing it into, you know, stuff that's edible and, and able to be bought at the store and the people who are actually buying it and selling it and cooking it, this, this whole thing, all the way to those of us, well, all of us who eat it at the end of the whole process. Thank you for being here on the Real Food, Real People podcast. You know, there are a lot of ugly, terrible things happening with this global pandemic right now. Um, but I guess we're just trying to maintain some positivity here and look toward those silver linings. And I think one of those is a change in the way that we're thinking about food. And we want to be part of that change. We want to help give... You know, it just, it's so interesting that we just launched this podcast at the beginning of the year, or actually just before the beginning of the year, around just before Christmas. And here we are now, uh, totally, you know, we had no idea this was coming, but here we are in a time when people are rethinking where their food comes from. And we want to help be on a way for, for people to get reconnected to their food. As people, including myself, I mean, as much as, you know, I grew up around farming and I host this podcast and all this, I've had plenty of reminders recently to just how near and dear our food and where it comes from and whether it's safe and, and produced with high quality and protections. I've been reminded of that as well. So that's what we want to do with this podcast. And that's why we would really appreciate your support, um, not only to subscribe, and we certainly appreciate that on, on whatever podcast platform is your preferred way to get it. You know, a lot of people, I'm just looking at the stats, a lot of people are subscribing like on Apple Podcasts, but people are listening on Spotify, um, iHeart uh, Radio or podcasts or whatever they call it, Google podcasts as well as it looking pretty popular. But there's a lot of other ones too. So whatever your favorite is. Anyway, it helps for you to subscribe, but even more as we try to get more people reconnected to where their food comes from um, in this time uh, of, of pandemic and uncertainty about the future, share it on social media if, if you could. Um, maybe send it out to your followers in a post or in a message or whatever works uh, and tell them something about what, you know, kind of spoke to you in our conversations here. And let me know too. Uh, you can find us on social media, Real Food, Real People Podcast, of course, is probably just the easiest way to search it. RFRP underscore podcast on Instagram. Uh, same handle on Twitter, and then what is it? RFRP.podcast on Facebook. Basically the same thing. So find us there. Shoot us a message there. Um, share our stuff, and let's continue to grow this circle of people um, who appreciate the people who are growing our food and making our food for us here in Washington State. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at savefamilyfarming.org and by Dairy Farmers of Washington, supporting Washington dairy farmers, connecting consumers to agriculture, and inspiring the desire for local dairy. Find out more at wadairy.org.